Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is going to be from Mark 6. There will be three sections that we'll read from today. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with the disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then we'll read from 14 to 16. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. Then we'll read from 45 to 52. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples head back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent his people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the, in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when he, they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. <clears throat> they were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracles of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we uh, look over the scriptures that have been read to us, that focus on Jesus again, may it be a learning time for us, May we be able to see what your servant Mark was pointing out about Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, we would understand and that it would make a difference in our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being willing to reveal truth to us and to make it so available to us. Uh, We're asking for your guidance now and your help as we, we study this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue in our series in Mark, we come to chapter 6, and what Brian has just read for you is 
uh, a snippet from three different parts of chapter 6. In chapter 6, we um, are reminded that everybody was talking about Jesus. He's been around long enough now. He's been ministering in enough places that people are talking about Jesus. And they're talking about the things he was doing and the things he was teaching. They were hearing about his miracles, healing all these different kinds of diseases. They probably had heard about him calming a storm, about him casting out demons from people's lives. They probably had heard about the raising of the synagogue ruler's daughter from the dead. But they were hearing all these stories. Word was going out. It wasn't newspaper. It wasn't radio, TV. It wasn't Internet. But it was word of mouth, and it was getting out. And everybody was talking about this Jesus. And they were talking about what he was teaching as well. He was talking about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God had come. And he was talking about this good news that if they would just repent of their sins and believe, they could enter that kingdom of God. And he talked about this this new message, this new way that he was bringing. And people were talking. Probably the most common question they were asking at that time was the question, who is this man? They were hearing all this stuff he was doing. They were hearing about all the things he was teaching, but they're wondering, who is this man? Who is this person? He doesn't sound like an ordinary person. Who is he? And like always, everybody had an opinion. Isn't that common? Everybody had an opinion. Everybody was trying to figure out who Jesus was. And so it looks to me in Mark chapter 6 that what Mark is doing now is showing us some of the efforts to figure out who this person Jesus was. And what opinions different people came up with. So we're going to talk about the hometown folks. We're going to talk about the people in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, his friends. He spent 30 years there and his family, immediate and extended. Then Mark is going to jump to King Herod and talk about him trying to figure out who Jesus is. And then the chapter ends moving to the 12 disciples because they're trying to figure it out too. I mean, they're right there with him. They're seeing everything. They're hearing everything. But they're trying to figure out who is this person that we're following. So let's start in the first uh, few verses with the hometown people. We're told here, as Brian was reading, that Jesus and his disciples go to Nazareth, which was Jesus' hometown. He's going to go home for a visit. 
It's about a 20-mile trip. He's been up along the Sea of Galilee and the villages there. And now they make this 20-mile trip to Nazareth where Jesus grew up. He's going home. You would think that uh, he's going to get a really good welcome there. I mean, he's become famous. It doesn't turn out that way. His hometown people and even family are trying to figure out what's going on. And we're going to see what their view is about Jesus. I was thinking about this. Over the years, I have gone back home a number of times and had the opportunity to speak at different uh, events in my home church, my home synagogue. And they've been great times. Because whenever I've done that, I've been welcomed. I get encouraged. People make these great comments of, you know, look what's happened to little Marlon, you know. I knew you when you were six years old. And it's always just a pleasant, uplifting time to go home and get to minister there. But, of course, when I've done that, I've never claimed to be God or the Messiah. So Jesus comes home. And on the Sabbath day, we're told that he attends his home synagogue, his home church, where he had spent a lot of time, I'm sure, listening to the rabbis. And we're told that he he goes to the synagogue and he teaches. He takes his turn to get up and teach. And the scripture says, many who heard him were amazed. They're amazed. Now, the Greek word there translated amazed means to be beside yourself, uh, to be flabbergasted, um, to be just taken back. They're amazed at what he's saying in that sense. But they're also offended, you noticed. They're amazed and offended at Jesus. It's not much of a welcome. And you notice there's a whole list of questions that they ask. In verse 2, they ask, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given him, that he even does miracles? What's going on? doesn't make sense to them. They know this guy. He lived among them for 30 years. They watched him grow up. What's gotten into him? What's happened? They ask more questions. Isn't this the carpenter? They knew him as a carpenter. Isn't this Mary's son? It's very possible that's a slur. Because usually you were referred to in connection with your father. You would think they would say, isn't this Joseph's son? Even if Joseph may not even be alive at this time, Typically, they would still refer to him by his father. 
But they refer to him as Mary's son. Remember, small town. Mary became pregnant before marriage. And when she came back from Elizabeth, three months pregnant, maybe they couldn't tell she was pregnant, but they could do the math when the birth came. This may have been a slur. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't he the one whose brothers are James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here? We know the family. It's just the carpenter's family. And he was the illegitimate son. And now he comes here. He comes back home. And he makes all these claims. And so they're amazed. They're offended. An author named David Garland uh, makes this comment. He says, around the Sea of Galilee at this time, Jesus, to those people, was Superman. In his hometown of Nazareth, he was just Clark Kent. There's no way he could be who he says he is. Something's wrong with him. How dare he? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Remember that statement? It's possible even the people of Nazareth believe that. And so they're offended at him. Does he think he's better than us? Leaving his hometown? It's kind of like, uh, you've probably heard of crabs in a barrel. You put a bunch of crabs in a barrel, and they start crawling up the sides trying to get out. But as they do, the other crabs pull them back down, not letting them get out. And it's a constant battle. Crabs trying to crawl out and the other crabs pulling them down. And as a result, none of them get out. That happens in groups of people. That happens in small towns. And it may have been happening in Nazareth. Nobody leaves Nazareth and becomes popular. Because that looks like they think they're better than us. How dare he? And so they're offended. They're amazed and offended. And by the way, by Jesus' own words, it's not just the townspeople. Did you notice relatives, family? Do you think the family was still remembering back in chapter 3 when Jesus embarrassed them? They had heard about what he was doing. They thought he was out of his mind. They came to get him and bring him home. And he disses them. He says, who's my, remember that, who's my family? These people that I'm teaching are my family. Do you think the family still remembered that? And how embarrassing that was? So, What do you think the view of Jesus by the people in his hometown 
was impacted by. I want to suggest their view of Jesus was impacted by familiarity. There's no way Jesus could be who he said he was because we know him. They were so familiar with Jesus. And what is the saying? How does the saying go? Familiarity breeds, say it, contempt. And so they were offended. And Jesus knew it. Notice what he says in verse 4. Jesus said, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He realized he was getting no honor here. They weren't believing what he was saying. And so it says in verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith, that they didn't believe. So it's interesting. The people in his hometown were amazed at him, what he was saying, and offended. Jesus was amazed. But it's not the same word. The translators have used the same word, but it's not the same Greek word. The word when it says Jesus was amazed is more the idea of wonder and marveling, almost disappointment. He was amazed at their lack of faith, that they didn't believe what he was saying. And so he stepped back. Isn't that interesting? Jesus had all the right in the world to force himself on his hometown people. He had all the right in the world to get upset about this and just force himself on them. But he didn't. He, he was amazed. He wondered at it. He, he was marveled. He was disappointed. But he was willing to just step back. If they're not going to believe, if they're not going to have faith in what I'm saying, then I'm just going to move on. And that's what he does. So we have the hometown people. Their view of Jesus couldn't accept what he was saying. Just couldn't accept it. They were offended. No faith. Then what Mark does is when we come to verse 14, he, he jumps over to King Herod. And King Herod, according to Mark, has been hearing, like everyone else, about Jesus. And in verse 14, it says King Herod heard about this, because everybody was talking about it. And he knew of the different opinions that people had. In fact, Mark mentions three opinions that were out there that Herod was hearing. So opinion A was, some were saying, Jesus is John the Baptist who's raised from the dead. Opinion B, some people, verse 15, were saying he's Elijah. Elijah has come back from heaven. And opinion C that Herod was hearing, verse 15, still others claimed he's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. He's a prophet like the Old Testament prophets. So Herod was hearing about Jesus. He was hearing these three Possibilities, opinions. 
And he chooses one. He goes with one. Which one does he go with? Opinion A. Verse 16. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. That became his view. That became his conclusion. This is John, the baptizer, who's come back from the dead. And what Mark does at that point is he goes through the backstory for us so that the reader understands why Herod would pick that opinion to believe about Jesus. And we're not going to read it in detail. Many of you know the story. But Mark goes on to tell us that there was the time when John the baptizer was doing his ministry. He confronted King Herod. King Herod had committed sexual immorality and taken his brother's wife to be his wife, Herodias. And John the baptizer, hearing about it and knowing it was wrong, had confronted them about their sin. And it was Herodias, Herod's new wife he'd taken from his brother, that got upset with John and wanted him killed. But King Herod kind of liked John. He was interested in John the baptizer and what he was doing and what he was teaching. So he didn't want to kill him. So what he did was he arrested John, put him in prison. And the story goes on to say, At Herod's birthday, there was this big party, this big banquet, drinking, eating. Herodias' daughter was dancing, providing the entertainment. King Herod was probably drunk. And he was so thrilled with this girl's dance that in front of everybody, he says, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. He enjoyed her dance so much. And so the girl hears that and goes to mom, to Herodias, and says, what should I ask for? And you know the story. She said, ask for John the baptizer's head. And when King Herod hears that, it's like, I can't do that. I don't want to kill him. I like the guy. But the scripture says his image and his reputation was more important. And he had made that promise in front of everybody. So what could he do? He orders the execution of John the baptizer. And I'm going to guess that from that day on, King Herod had trouble sleeping. And that he lived with a guilty conscience. over what he had done. And so, when Jesus comes along, and he's hearing all about this man that's coming and performing miracles and preaching and doing all this stuff, and he hears the opinions, and one is that this might be John the baptizer back from the dead. Of course, that's the one he goes with, right? His view of Jesus was impacted by a guilty conscience. It's got to be John. 
He's come back to haunt me. And he's doing all these miracles. He is going to punish me. He's going to get even with me. And that became his view of Jesus. And you can imagine how he made sure he avoided Jesus. Because he decided it was John. Back from the dead to haunt and punish him. His guilty conscience led him to that view. Then we come to the 12 disciples who've been with Jesus, seeing so much, hearing so much. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Remember back in chapter 4 at the end, we had that storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, just by speaking to the wind and the waves, calms them. And at the very end of chapter 4, the disciples say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're trying to figure out who they're following. Who is he really? They want to know. So Mark takes us to, uh, starting in verse 30, what's called the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus has been teaching. We know the story. Jesus has been teaching crowds of people. Uh, They've been there all day. It's getting close to evening. And the disciples say, Jesus, we've got to send the people home. They need to go and find places to, you know, buy some food. And Jesus says in verse 37, you give them something to eat. You feed them. Thousands of people. You feed them. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? And so he asked, how many loaves do you have? He said, go see. And when they found out, they said, five loaves, two fish. That's it. And there's thousands of people. And what comes next, of course, is an amazing miracle. Jesus is able to multiply Supernaturally, of course, those few loaves of bread and the fish. And they feed 5,000 men. And certainly there were children and women there, too. So with that little, they end up feeding everybody. And there's 12 baskets full left over. Interesting. One for each disciple. The disciples have been right at the center of another miracle. Eyewitnesses. Now, I have to cheat a little bit here from a promise I made because this really helps us understand the book of Mark. So I'm going to ask you this, okay? From your knowledge of the other Gospels, what's missing in Mark's account of feeding the 5,000? What's missing is the little boy who had the loaves and the fish. Mark doesn't put it in there. And I think there's a reason. And it emphasizes Mark's purpose in how he's presenting Jesus. Because you know what people do in the scriptures that talk about the little boy who had 
the fish and the bread. People decide to do sermons on the little boy. Willing to give what little he had to Jesus. You ever heard those sermons? They write books about the little boy. What's Mark's purpose in presenting Jesus to the Romans? To focus on a little boy? No. The purpose is the power of Jesus to perform this kind of miracle that goes totally against the laws of nature. And so he doesn't even mention the little boy because that's not the purpose of what happened. So anyway, right after that, in fact, verse 45, it says immediately. So after this this miracle of feeding thousands of people miraculously, it says Jesus made his disciples, verse 45, get into the boat and go ahead of him across to Bethsaida. And then he stayed and dismissed the crowd. And then after the crowd left, he went up on the mountainside to pray, which he did often. But then he notices in the middle of the night, about three o'clock in the morning, that the disciples are out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the wind has come up and the waves are big and it looks like they're having trouble. So as Brian read, this is where Jesus comes walking in the dark on the water. This is the walking on the water account. And Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And when they see this figure out there on the water coming toward them, of course, they think it's a ghost. They're scared to death. Finally, Jesus gets there. He says, it's I. Uh, Verse 50, take courage. Don't be afraid. And he climbs into the boat with them. And the wind dies down. Okay, I'm going to cheat one more time because this helps us understand Mark. Let me ask you again. What's missing in Mark's account of Jesus walking into the water? Anybody know? Peter walking on the water. You notice that? There's nothing about Peter jumping out of the boat and walking on the water and then sinking, right? And Jesus saying to him, where's your faith? Why would Mark not include Peter walking in the water? That seems like a big deal. I think it's another reason to believe Peter is the source of Mark's information. And for some reason, Peter doesn't want that included. Either because he doesn't want to boast about what he did, that he walked on water for a few seconds, or maybe he was embarrassed because he was rebuked for his lack of faith. But for whatever reason, it's not in Mark's account. And I just think it's another one of the little things that keep coming up that seem to reinforce the idea that Peter was probably the source of Mark's information. And Peter just didn't want that in there. Which is a good thing when you think of Mark's purpose. Because again, many of us have read books on Peter walking in the water. 
And we've heard sermons on Peter walking in the water. And we are told to get out of the boat. Have faith and get out of the boat, right? And we get so caught up on Peter walking on the water, we forget the purpose of that miracle. It wasn't about Peter. You see, Mark's purpose is to show the power of Jesus, that he's no ordinary man. No need to focus on Peter and his impulsive choice. So that's interesting. It's missing. Look at the response of the 12 disciples. Verse 51, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Hmm. Their hearts were hardened. The disciples were having a real difficult time developing their view of Jesus and figuring out who he was. Mark says it's because their hearts were hardened. And the word hardened there means dull. Their hearts were dull. They just couldn't get it. They just couldn't understand what was right in front of their eyes. And notice, Mark says, they didn't understand the feeding of the 5,000, which tells me the purpose of that feeding of the 5,000 was for the disciples to figure out who Jesus was and that they should have caught on by being in the middle of that miracle of feeding the 5,000. It should have been a no-brainer. This is the Messiah. This is God. But Mark says they didn't understand that miracle, and they still didn't get it because they had dull hearts. It just wasn't getting through the message of who Jesus really was. It just wasn't getting through to them. I don't know if it, it's because they were so into the surface stuff going on. I don't know if, I don't know what it was, but for some reason they weren't getting it. Now somebody might say, well, that's just Mark's opinion. Mark is the one that makes that comment. But let's jump ahead. Chapter 8. At the beginning of chapter 8, we have a second feeding, miraculously, of thousands of people. A while later, there's the feeding of 4,000. It's like deja vu all over again. And when that's over, Jesus and the disciples go on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are all upset and worried because they didn't bring enough food to eat. And hearing them discuss that, in chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus says, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts dull? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? And he gives them a pop quiz. How many were there when I fed them the first time? Five. How many the second? Four thousand. You know, he, he gives them this little pop quiz. He says, don't you guys remember? Are you so dull at heart you're not getting this? 
The disciples just for some reason had a hard time figuring out what was right in front of their noses as to who this Jesus was. So, everybody's wondering, everybody's asking the question, who is this guy? The hometown people, the family, they're amazed and offended. They've decided he can't be who he's saying it was. Something's wrong with him. They couldn't believe. Their view was based on familiarity. King Herod decided it was John the Baptist come back from the dead. It was his guilty conscience that probably impacted that opinion. He's come back to haunt me. He's come back to punish me. And the 12 disciples, they weren't getting it. They were struggling so hard to figure out who Jesus was. And both Mark and later Jesus say it's because they had dull hearts. There was something getting in the way of comprehending and seeing what was being revealed to them so clearly. So, here are some questions for us to take home with us. What is your view of Jesus? You started talking about that earlier with each other. What's your view of Jesus? Who is he? And secondly, what, what has been impacting your view of Jesus? What has been developing your view of Jesus? <clears throat> you see, some people, <clears throat> it's familiarity. There are people who have grown up in the church all their lives. They've heard about Jesus since day one. And they are so familiar with Jesus, they don't even think about him anymore. They don't take him seriously. They've known about him all their lives. There's no awe toward Jesus. They can sing, Jesus loves me in amazing grace. But they never think to sing, oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. I lift your name up high. Because Jesus has become so familiar to them. And they've built this view of Jesus. Impacted by familiarity. And the idea that he's king and lord and master doesn't even enter their mind. then I think there are people who have found their view of Jesus to be impacted by a guilty conscience. Because of their past, because of things they have been involved in, things they are involved in, their view of Jesus has become one of, he couldn't love me. He couldn't want anything to do with me. And they don't even consider that he could be a part of their lives because their conscience is so guilty. Or they think, he's going to punish me. You know, Jesus is just some person that's got all this power and he knows what I've done and he's going to punish me. 
And they want to stay as clear as they can because talking too much about Jesus and being too much around where Jesus is talked about, it's uncomfortable because it brings up what's on their guilty conscience. And so the guilty conscience has impacted their view of Jesus. And then there are the many whose view of Jesus has been impacted by a dull heart. Maybe it's because they're just not interested. Maybe it's because they don't want to get it. Maybe it's because, for some reason, they're just not seeing. It's right in front of them. But for some reason, they have this dull heart and aren't comprehending and seeing who Jesus is. They don't remember, like the disciples. They've they've seen what Jesus has done. They've read what Jesus has done. They've even maybe experienced it in their lives, but three months later, they've forgotten all about it, and it's just like they don't get it. So I don't know. What's your view of Jesus? Where has it come from? What has developed it? What has influenced it? Is it the truth from God's word that has developed your view of Jesus? Is it a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship through salvation that's developing your view of Jesus? Your view of Jesus will affect every other part of your life. It's important. In fact, you could say, the answer to the question, who is Jesus, may be the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Make sure you go to the right source for your answer. Not familiarity. Not a guilty conscience. Break through that dull heart. Go to the truth. Answer the question, who is Jesus? Because it will impact the rest of your life. It's that important of a question to answer. Let's pray. Father, we understand that it's not just back then when Jesus was here that people struggled and wrestled trying to figure out who Jesus was. We know there are people today who still wrestle with that. And they come up with such a variety of answers and views because of what's impacting the answer to that question in their lives. And maybe even someone here, Lord, today. They have a view of Jesus that's been impacted by something other than the truth of your word and experiencing him for themselves. Father, may that change. May every one of us get to the place where it's settled in our hearts and minds who Jesus is. And once we've settled that, Lord, may we let it impact every part of our daily living. In the name of Jesus. Amen.